This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. A recent report from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency states, quote, The total number of marine species at risk in the Salish Sea has doubled from 2002 to 2015, unquote. The accompanying map shows they're referring to an area that stretches from the Puget Sound to the Strait of Juan de Fuca and north beyond Cortez and Quadra Islands. Christian Wilhelmsen, Executive Director of the Georgia Strait Alliance, explained this is because the EPA thinks of the Salish Sea as a whole entity, rather than dividing it between two nations. While a few of the entries are American, most of the species listed are accompanied by terms like Coziwick, BC, and Canada, which shows they come from Canadian sources. It's really sad news that came out this year. The report that came out looking at that particular period of time, 20% more fish species, 30% more birds, and 42% of uh, mammals that are considered at risk. So what we're seeing is the entire food web. Explained Wilhelmsen. We're seeing these numbers because we have these issues that in many ways we haven't tackled in a systemic way. Urbanization and loss of habitat. 30 years ago, it was a problem. It's still a problem as our population increases in this region on both sides of the border. So pollution remains a problem, even though we're tackling some issues like wastewater, that's getting better in our region, but we have other sources of pollution. Runoff from cities, stormwater, agricultural runoff, these are continuing as our population grows. And of course, the the, the lens which is exacerbating this uh, problem is, of course, climate change. We're seeing now what 30 years ago our communities were warning industry and government about has been creeping forward. And, of course, we're seeing the massive impacts in our region from flooding and the heat domes and that additional pressure. Climate change is warming the waters of the Salish Sea. The impacts that is having on the adjoining waters, warming of the rivers and streams that feed the Strait of Georgia. That's also impacting the salmon that are in it. And we're seeing declines in salmon due to habitat loss and climate change. So climate change is this lens. It's almost like we've got all these threats and we've put a lens on it that is just heightening the impacts. Animals are under stress because of pollution and habitat loss. Then you add the stress of climate change with water temperatures rising. And you have species that are struggling because of it. It's affecting their food sources. It's affecting their ability to reproduce. One of the ones that I think is incredibly impactful is the rising temperatures in rivers. Because what happens is that the salmon and their food cycle is over millennia has become quite refined. The eggs hatch just as the food sources become higher in concentration. As the fish hatch, they have food. But this is also very temperature sensitive. What we are seeing in some rivers is the misalignment of that. Sometimes the food concentration increases before the fry hatch, and therefore a decline in the salmon populations. So that is because of climate change. And then you add acidification, which is literally changing the chemistry of our oceans, and that impacts shellfish and their ability to create shells. So the whole system is now being impacted. Of course, shellfish are a source of food for birds and other animals and marine mammals. It's affecting southern resident killer whales. Uh, they have so many toxins in their system that their ability to fight off disease is reduced. And when you have a species that's under stress, then you add climate change, which is affecting 
their food source and them, you know, it's just a big ball of yarn that is making things worse. There are different um, issues in different communities, even though larger ones affect the entire region. You may have more localized pollution sources, for example, like in some areas you have perhaps more fishing gear that is causing problems, because that's also another threat. Overfishing and derelict fishing gear is increasingly a problem to species. It's interesting how in Washington State they've done a remarkable job, and it's honestly an incredible investment of money and time, but to collect derelict fishing gear and to recycle it wherever possible. But on the BC side, the Canadian side, we just simply have not uh, gotten to the point where we're investing in that. So right now in Canada, whether it's crab pots or whether it's actual nets and fishing gear, we're losing species from birds to marine mammals to crabs and other invertebrates. When they find some of these nets, they're filled with species that have got caught up and have died. Certainly shellfish, Equipment is a concern and how that's managed in particular parts of the community. So you do find some localized threats that you won't find in other parts of the strait. But if you look at the whole strait, you're seeing, even though the sources may be different, the impacts on how many at-risk species we have and the increase in at-risk species, it's across the board, it's increasing. The two other areas where you are seeing progress. Well, I think one of the biggest and and brightest good news stories is, of course, the humpbacks. 20, 30 years ago, we just never saw them in the strait. Seeing a humpback is still an amazing experience, but it's uh, no longer the rarity it used to be. The humpback is just a wonderful story. It's not recovered. There's still some threats to humpbacks. in particular from fishing gear, but also from boating. It's a wonderful story of um, recovery. This one is less of a story about the Salish Sea, but also just hopefully something we can learn for Southern resident killer whales is how the Northern residents are continuing to increase in numbers, which is a good news story about watching a similar species and learning from it. They have access to more salmon, their waters are less polluted, which is kind of the lesson for us here in the Salish Sea, if we could tackle pollution in a more meaningful way, if we could protect Chinook so that they can live here and come back here, protect the rivers that they come from, that we might actually be able to see an increase in the southern resident killer whales. This story has a special meaning for my listeners because Cortez and Quadra Islands are close to the boundary between the northern and southern residents, and orcas from both pods visit our waters. I think with the Southern Resident Killer Whale, the message we're not fully getting is that sometimes you have to make really hard decisions if you're serious about protecting species. The Southern Resident Killer Whales were declared endangered in 2003, and it took till 2018 before we saw bold action. 15 years we lost with that species, partially because the government wouldn't implement its own action plans. We went to court, represented by EcoJustice, along with other organizations, to force the government to actually do its job. Between 2006 and 2012, we were in court almost continually against our own government to implement its own laws. So we lost time. And in the interim, things were getting worse. Between 2012 and 2018, there were things happening, but they were very much on paper. It wasn't until we threatened legal action in 2018 we actually got the government to pay attention. Though, sadly, I'd have to say it was also the impetus of the Trans Mountain 
pipeline requirements that the government has started to take and pay attention. So this is one of the problems we have sometimes in protecting species is the government itself and its desire to actually make change. So they've you know certainly put in some bold measures, stronger measures than we've ever seen, but they're still allowing fishing for parts of the year. So we're still losing Chinook. We still have pollution sources that aren't being addressed in a bold enough fashion. And the noise issue, which certainly is being improved by regulations and distance, but it's not the bold action we actually need. So we're still allowing southern resident killer whales to be threatened. The reason we focus on southern resident killer whales is because they are the harbinger. They're an apex predator. They're at the top of the food chain. So what happens to is indicative of the health of the region. So You know, when I talk about derelict fishing gear, when I talk about shellfish gear, when we talk about open net fish farms, any of the industries who are literally interfacing with the ocean, it is not about a threat to a species specifically. It's an impact on a broader range and and reducing the health of habitat as a whole. I'm the executive director of the Georgia Strait Alliance, and I work on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations, also known as Vancouver. In a nutshell, we're a marine conservation organization that for more than 30 years has been advocating for the protection of the Salish Sea, in particular the... Our mission is also to promote the conservation of the adjoining waters of the Salish Sea, as well as its communities. So we take a very watershed approach to our work. We take a transboundary approach to our work because just because you have the medicine line, which is dividing Canada and the United States, you can't work on protection of an ecosystem in that way. Long before I was with Georgia Strait Alliance, uh, our founders had that approach. We work with American partners to find solutions to the threats to this region, and then worked with communities, with honestly anybody who had the same vision for this region, be the industry, government, communities, individuals, businesses, to try to find the solutions and the long-term solutions. Georgia Strait Alliance tends to look at issues from a systemic uh, perspective. It is very easy to fight this project, fight this problem, and sometimes you do need to do that. If we look at the Trans Mountain Pipeline, we've been advocating against that for a very long time. But really, it's the systemic problems, the long-term sources of pollution, the long-term sources of habitat protection. Those are the ones, if you can solve, they have this wave of benefit throughout the region. So sometimes we work on issues for decades because that's the way to get change. There are more than 3 million people who live in the Georgia Strait region. We are um, interconnected in so many ways with this body of water, both in the ways we protect it, but also in the ways we harm it. It's a working body of water is the Strait of Georgia. But the health of communities is just as important as anything to the health of these waters, because if you have communities that are healthy from mental health to physical health to the health of the ecosystems within communities, then you are better placed to be able to tackle the bigger issues and people are able to make better choices. There are local decisions we can make at the city council level, regional, and of course, provincial. We need to see some bold leadership, which we're seeing in some areas like transportation, but we're not seeing as far as the long-term plan to get us off fossil fuels. We're still not seeing that from our government. So lots to do there, but it all impacts the oceans. And I think that's a connection we need to make uh, even more. You've been listening to an interview with Wilhelmsen of the Georgia Strait Alliance about the increasing number of species at risk in the Salish Sea. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye.